0: You know, as you turn to Psalm 145, I wanted to just kind of set the stage for this sermon this morning. Growing up as a kid, I can recall getting specific instructions on the clothes that we wore. I mean, you had your Sunday clothes. That was the Sunday clothes. I got an amen and some head nods going on. Those were the clothes you wore on Sunday. And you didn't have any other day of the week that you could mess with them other than Sunday morning. That was when they came out sunday afternoon those clothes went up and then you also had a set of clothes that was called your school clothes the only time you wore those was at school you got them up in the morning you put them on to go to school and when you came home you put them up and then that transitioned to the third category of clothes and that was your everyday clothes that was the everyday clothes the clothes you can go outside and play in but don't play too hard because you ain't got a backup pair lest you be wearing your brother's uh, pair of britches. Uh, But all that being said, it was the everyday clothes. That was what you did every single day. That was who you was. It was your everyday clothes. And I entitled this morning's sermon, Everyday Praise. Everyday Praise. Because like those clothes, they had a special occasion as to when you needed to wear them. But unlike that, God says that the believer should praise God every day. It should be commonplace. It should be just normal for you to praise the living God. You don't need an occasion. You don't need a special event. You don't have to wait until a Sunday morning. God is so good. His his character is so great that you can praise him every day. You can offer the king everyday praise. You don't need to have a special moment in order to do that. It should be just a regular, ordinary, commonplace for the believer. But sadly, sometimes we can reduce our praise to God on Thanksgiving Day or maybe a special morning worship or maybe a members meeting. Oh, that'd be an opportunity for us to give God praise. But when we fail to focus our excitement and our energies on God, you know what happens? When you fail to put your praise where it belongs and on Him, it can turn inward. You start thinking about your own life. It can be selfish. You can be absorbed with self, especially around this time of year, uh, Black Friday sales and holidays going. You could be consumed with self if you're not giving your energies and your effort to praise God. Or you can uh, mitigate those and say, I'm not going to praise God. I'm just going to go and orient it towards social issues or a political agenda that you're trying to run. God says he's worthy of all of that effort, all of that energy. Your total faculties of your being should be devoted to praising the living God. And David is going to show us that in this psalm. He mainly helps us to understand that no matter what happens in life, we ought to focus on the living God and give him praise. I like how even John MacArthur said that about the believer and how he should be characterized by praise. He said a thankful heart is one of the primary identifying characteristics of a believer. It stands in stark contrast to pride selfishness, and worry, and it helps to fortify the believer's trust in the Lord and reliance in his provision, even in the toughest times. No matter how choppy the seas become, a believer's heart is buoyed by constant praise and gratefulness to the Lord. That's how it should be for the believer. It should be commonplace for us, normal, to give God praise and not reducing that to a worship service. And as we look at this psalm, we're going to learn how David is going to help us to stir our affections, not emotionally, but by the character of God so that we can praise him rightly. I want to deal with this entire psalms in the, the preach word, but I'm going to read up to verse 9 in the hearing, and I'm going to ask God's help as I proclaim him. Psalm 145, 1-9 one through nine reads as follows. I will extol you, my God, O King... I will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord, and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. One generation shall praise your works to another, and shall declare your mighty acts. And on the gracious splendor of your majesty... And on your wonderful works, I will meditate. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. Bow with me in a word of prayer. Gracious Father, we come now before your word, just asking for heaven's help. I pray that you would uh, allow us to lay aside anything that might be on our mind, burdens of the heart, or even anticipations after this worship service so that we can focus our attention on you harness our attention right now, Lord, for your name's sake, that I might boldly proclaim the excellencies of your word, that it might pierce through hearts, build up your people, strengthen the saints, and bring glory to yourself. So we love you and praise you for this time, and we ask all this in the blessed name of Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Well, as we look at this text this morning, we're going to see that uh, scholars believe that this would have more than likely been the last psalm that David penned in the Psalter. The Psalter was the, the Psalms, the book of Psalms, the hymn book for the Israelites. You know, some of y'all grew up singing through a hymnal. Well, the, the Psalms was Israel's hymn book. You know, that's what they sang, giving glory and praise to Yahweh. And David is attributed to have written 75 of those 150 Psalms. You know, his psalm was you know, David was more than really just a composer of songs. He was a theologian. And if you look at a lot of his psalms that he wrote, you can get great doctrines in theology of God. David was masterful in being able to convey the attributes of God and set it to music. And even in doing so with this one, he, um, he, he set this song. And he was great in his theology, but most importantly, David was a worshiper of God. Yeah, he was a good uh, theologian, and music, a musician, but he was a worshiper of God. Sets him apart from many. That helps us to understand that it's God's design that our doctrine should lead to doxology and praise. and That doxology should lead to the duties of the believer. And both in the Old and the New Testament can testify to that reality. The more doctrine you understand of God, the higher your doxology will be. Because you're not praising the music, you're praising the God of the music. And David is helping us to understand that. But because God's character and his works are so amazing, we're going to see through this text with three reasons as to why we should cultivate everyday praise. It ought to be just commonplace for us to praise God every single day. And I hope that uh, this will urge us to pursue him, enjoy him, and tell others about him each and every day as we think about his greatness that's on display in this text. As you look at verse 1, David starts by saying, I will extol you, my God, O king. Extol. You know, that's a word we don't use now these days, right? We don't be like, oh, wow, I extol this store because of their prices that they had on Black Friday. I mean, we don't, we don't use words like that. But it's extol, it really is a word that, that means I'm going to praise you above everything else. David had a lot that he could have praised and he could have sang about. The king of Israel. thinking about the victories that he had won the thousands that he was able to conquer. But guess what? He said, God, I'm going to extol you. I'm going to put you and your praise above any and everything else. Nothing else in life compared to the praise that he was going to offer God in exalting him. He even says that you think about David. He's got a lot that he could have have, uh, boasted about, right? This is the same man that defeated Goliath. I mean, I know if that was me, if I'm David. I would have been somewhere talking around, you know, dinner like, yeah, you know that dude, that dude, Goliath? Yeah, I was the man. I got him. And I ain't even used no sword. I had stones in my pocket, you know. They were was smooth. Wasn't even jagged. Took them out just like that. I mean, I would have been going on and on and on about the issues that I've done. But what does David do? He says, I will extol you. And the reason he says that is because I was doing it for your glory. God is the one who is worthy of glory, not David. And he knew that at every circumstance of his life. Is that the same for you, that you will extol God? There's a lot of people that want to talk about themselves. You can notice them even when they come in the room. They can't even get in the room situated before they tell you, hey, did I tell you what I did yesterday? Did I tell you what I did last week? It's like, yeah, and you told me what you did last year, and the year before that, and the year before that. They just keep going and going and going about themselves and their glory. But it's a beautiful thing when people come and they say, let me tell you what the Lord did this day. It's beautiful. That's everyday praise that believers should have in our life, extolling God, exalting him, praising him above all things. And he says, my God and my king. You know, he recognized that not only was God his creator, but he's his commander. He's like, I I owe my my allegiance, my origin from you, but I'm also going to follow you and obey you. You have to recognize that God is not only your maker, but he's your master calling the shots. That's how you can give praises that your life is ordered by Him. He's giving you the marching orders, and David recognizes God. That should be a valuable lesson to all of us. And then there in verse 2, he says, Every day I will bless you, and I will praise your name forever and ever. David uses two distinct Hebrew words to describe his worship to God. First, he says, I'll, I'll bless you. That comes from Hillel. This is where we get the a derivative of hallelujah. This is hallelujah. This is a, a type of ascribing blessing when you've received a great gift from God. The hallelujahs came from Israel as they saw him defeat their enemies over and over and over again and bring them to freedom. Prosperity. And then he says, I'll also praise you. And where praise, praise comes from the Hebrew word barak, which means to, to get low It's to get low and pay homage to to a great ruler. It's to know your rightful place and position in his authority. And that's what he did. David saw himself, and so he really sets the stage of no matter if he is in the highest of heights or if he is in the lowest of low, he's going to praise God because he's worthy of it. That should be us. That should be us. No matter what circumstance we're in. We're going to praise God. Look at what he says there. He says, I'm going to do it every day. I will bless you every day. You see, David didn't just worship Yahweh on the Sabbath day. It wasn't just on the Sabbath day. He didn't just reduce his worship to the Almighty God on the designated days of worship. He did it every day. Not only was it just not on the Sabbath, it wasn't just on a sunny day. David didn't just praise God when he was on the mountaintop victories but he also tuned his heart to praise God even when he was in the lowest of valleys. The darkest of days, he said, God is worthy of my praise. Is that how you are, believer? No matter where you're at, you see that God, because of his goodness and his character, he's worthy of my praise. I think of Psalm 63 in verse 1, it says, my soul thirsts for you. He says, oh, that's good, right? Everyone's soul thirsts for God. He must have been in a great place. Well, no. Right after that, he says, in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David is in the wilderness of Judah, and he's on the run for his life at this time. And he says, my soul thirsts for you. And then later in there, in verse 3, he says, because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. Isn't that a sweet line? Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. I need to, like, remember that and... Write that down for like Thanksgiving or sorry, Valentine's Day for Maria. I need to be looking about it. Like that's a, that's a good line to put in there. Be like, your, your loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you, girl. I mean, it's just, um, I can see that in a Hallmark card right there. But that's a, I, I mean, just this was David's praise of God. It's your loving kindness. You know what he's saying? Because of your covenantal love, your commitment to me is so great that even if my life is horrible, you are still good. He said, you're still good. I'm still going to praise you. There's some times in circumstances in life where you have to just tune your heart that you're going to give God praise. And David does that. He doesn't let the circumstances do it. He doesn't let the condition of his day govern it. He says, I will bless you. And that means that we can't just let our praise be reduced to Sunday mornings or even on days that we feel like it only. He says, I'm going to praise you all throughout the day. You think about it. Some of you this past Thursday, you sat around a table with food. You thought about the goodness of God, right? Probably went around the table, took turns thinking about how good God has been, gave Him praise. You possibly uh, sang a song, may have read Scripture, and then you prayed and gave thanks. Believer, can I challenge you that that should be your everyday praise to God? It's not waiting for that special occasion, that Thanksgiving day, to give him praise. But every single day, stop and pause and say, God has been good, and this is how. Give him praise. That's everyday praise for a believer. Every single day, he's worthy of that type of praise. David says, I'll praise your name forever and ever. He designates his praise to the name of God, which ultimately speaks to the character of God. And he says, these works will go on and on and on. You know, notice how David says that his praise will never end. He was not thinking about just the songs that will be sang today. He was thinking a hundred years from now, thousand years from now. We're still singing some of those worship songs that David sang. A hundred thousand years from now. You see, there's going to be a time when faith and hope will be lost. But there's never going to be a time when the praise of God shall be lost. He's worthy of being praised forever and ever. And we've got to sing, even on a daily basis, with that in mind, is that that's going to be something that we'll get a chance to do for not only throughout this life, but also throughout the life to come. And that's giving God praise. Well, as David gets here, he gives us the first reason that we're going to look at today as to how we can cultivate praise of God every day. And that first reason is this. We should praise God because of his majestic power. And we're going to see that in verses 3 through 9. Because of the Lord's majestic power, we ought to praise him every day. You see, the Lord's power is seen in his greatness. In verse 3, it says, great is the Lord and highly to be praised. You see, what David is saying here is that God is great, and therefore his praise ought to be great. He wanted to make sure that his praise was commensurate with the God that he was worshiping. He was like, I'm not worshiping some little God. I'm not worshiping some idol that, that I've created and fabricated with human hands. He said, so if that's the case, then I to just kind of say, "Ah, oh, look at this idol. He says, this is the living God of the universe that I'm worshiping. And therefore, my praise needs to match that. This is a, a lesson for us. You know, there's some, one theologian that said that there's no chorus that's too loud, and there's no orchestra that's too large, and no psalm that is too lofty for the louding of the Lord of hosts. That's it. There's no orchestra that you can get that will be too big to worship the God of the universe. There's no song that you can sing that's too loud for Him to be shouted towards the heavens. Some people are content to giving God that 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 I praise, you know, just just I. And how was your praise and worship today? I was I. It was I. It, it was just I. You know, God is worthy of greater than I praise. You know. And some people, they, they come around and they really, as they talk about it, they, oh, I was worship. Oh, I was just okay. It was really meaning that uh, what the orientation of your worship was around the actual song or the instrumentation instead of the God of the song. David said it's never going to be the case. My praise is going to be of the God of the song. He wasn't looking at, the, at the, uh, the people around him to see how excited they were. He knew that his God was worthy of his praise. And there's some people that come to church, and they can't wait to give God high praise. I mean, they done had a song in their heart all week long, and they come, and they're going to sing it strong. You know, and sometimes they can be offbeat, out of key, right? But they sing into the glory of God because they understand what God has done for them. It's an overflow of that. It's an overflow of the heart. God's tuned their heart to praise His name. You should be doing that. You don't need to be on the worship team if you're offbeat and off-key and, you know, (laughs) Ronald's in the back saying, thank you, brother. I appreciate that tip, helping him out. Shepherd in the flock, shepherd in the flock, brother. I'm helping you out, brother. I'm helping you out. But at the end of the day, you should come here with your heart already tuned because it's an everyday praise that you have with the living God. Amen? Amen. Every single day. It's not limited to one type. And I'm not trying to say that, that you have to have the physical expressions of praise. There are some people that are, that are naturally not excitable people. But you have an amazing God. And their hearts are stirred with the the perfections of his character. And therefore, they beam with praise and adoration as they're singing to him each and every day. That's how it should be for us. How do you know that this is true? Well, look at what David says next. He says, and the greatness of his character is unsearchable. David knew about searching for the character of God and understanding his goodness. David isn't saying that that we shouldn't search for God. He's just saying that when you search after the, the depth of God's character, you will never find it. You'll never get to the bottom of that. It's boundless, limitless. But he said you should keep stretching your understanding of God because you'll never get to the bottom of it. Theology informed David's worship. Think about some of the characteristics of God. Some of this we went over in the lead class this fall as we start thinking about God and his attributes. I'll just share a few of them that may have informed David as he's pinning these songs. He thought about the fact that God is unchangeable. You realize that God is unchangeable. We change, we grow, we develop, we get more educated. We have likes and dislikes that change, but God is unchangeable hidden in his essence, character, purposes, and promises. Isn't that a blessing to know that? That God doesn't, yesterday, today, and forevermore, God will be the same. If he makes a promise 300 years ago, you can go and take it to the bank today. That's how good God is. How should that be when you're at your moments of, of trials in life? And you're questioning the goodness and the character of God. The promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. Amen? They're they're good. He's unchangeable. God is eternal. Even for David, Psalm 102, for the unchangeable aspect of God, Psalm 102, 25, he would have shared that, that God is eternally the same. Even he transcends all limitations of time and space. Psalm 90 says that God is from everlasting to everlasting. Try to wrap your mind around that. We can't even wrap our mind around the things that are present, let alone everlasting to everlasting, but that's the character of God. And that was why David said, I'm going to praise him. He's an amazing God worthy of that. God is also a God of truth. This is the perfection of God that means that there is a perfect correspondence between his character and his nature, what he does and who he is. He says, you ain't going to be able to have no no, no, no gap between the two. It's perfect. He holds that together because He's a God of truth and the reliabilities of His words, deeds, and His thoughts. He's a God of truth and He cannot lie. According to 2 Samuel 2, 6 and even Psalm 40, 11, let us know that God is a God who cannot lie. Isn't that a blessing to know that God can't lie? None of these promises are going to be revoked. And He's a God of holiness, inherent goodness, and His greatness of being Absolutely morally separate from sin. That's God's holiness. It's a quality that he shares with his believers, but he transcends it because he's in a category all by himself, being 100% separate from sin, abhorring evil, and demanding purity. That's Leviticus 19, too, right? You're to be holy because who is holy? God is holy. He says, I am holy. That's God. But even after all this, David says that God's greatness is unsearchable. You can go on and on and on. You can't plumb the depths of that. And you see why wow, this is what is informing his praise. My question for you today is what's informing your praise? What's informing your praise? Is it one little verse a day to keep the devil away? You're like, man, that's going to inform our praise, It's one little verse? Or do you get a chance to actually immerse yourself in the Bible and read? Maybe a chapter or two. Or maybe some good, rich theology. Some people, they, they, they come to Christ and then they, they get afraid of theology. Well, I don't want to kind of have all these big words and these big terms. And we serve a, an amazing God. Know Him and discover Him. Plumb the depths of the Scriptures and, and theology. God is wanting, uh, He's so great, but He wants us to discover Him. He, he, he knows He's great, but He wants you to know that He's great. And you do that as you're in the Word. As meditating on His truths and reading good theology. In our lead class, there was a, a lady that came out of that class and said it's been so good to just quiet my mind every other week and just sit down and do a deep dive into the, 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 the person and the character of God and his attributes. It's been great this fall. You know, you do, I th- talk about deep dive, it reminds me of my wife. You know, we, we both love to snorkel, uh, but we both, even though we enjoy snorkeling, my wife, she hates deep water. How you reconcile the two of those, I don't really know. I don't really know. Uh, but, but every single time without fail since the beginning of our marriage and even last couple of years We took a, a trip out and we snorkeled and and uh, she'll come out And she's always got these hesitation and concerns and fears of deep waters But but as soon as she starts to get in and she see those fish And she see the coral reef it's just it's mind-boggling and before you know it She's going on and on seeing the beauty of God's handiwork in his creation and she's a good 30 40 feet from the shore she forgets that, that she was scared of the water. She forgets that she needs oxygen. She forgets her husband who's back on the other side looking for her, I mean just, all those things go out the door. We saved her last time, she was here today, this morning, uh, to live to tell a story about it. But all that being said, it's just like the believer, right? You start out with all this, man, do I know the word? Can, what, what about, it? I don't know, maybe I could read one chapter a day, there might be a lot, about two chapters. This book is so big, Wayne Grudem systematic. But the more you start to open it up and discover God, you'll be like, I am so satisfied that I'm here. Before you know it, 30 minutes have gone by, an hour have gone by, and you're studying the riches of the most perfect person in the universe, and that's God, Almighty God. He's done that, just like in the ocean, to discover the riches of his creation in the mountains. He says it's the same for him. It's amazing. He says it's unsearchable. That's God. And that should cultivate everyday praise in the heart of the believer. He even says that one generation shall praise your works to another and declare your your mighty acts. He says praise, which means boast, possibly by way of singing, and declare by way of speaking. And so he says whether it's in song or in a tongue, we need to be giving God praise. Give Him praise. David says give Him praise every single day. You realize that this is a commandment? Deuteronomy. 6-7 says that you should teach your children diligently. Teach them. Train them up. That was the prescription that God gave. It was the commandments. He said, look, this is what you do in your family. Tell them about my good deeds. Teach them about my character. That's what you should be doing now. Parents, if you're in the house, you've got a commandment from God to teach your children diligently about these truths of God. Who wants that to happen from generation to generation? You know, not just the fun, exciting Bible studies, teaching them about the character of God, all those things, fair game, to tell them so that you can declare His truth from generation to generation. You might have your favorite preachers that have given some great sermons, and you might have some worship leaders that have offered great songs in the past. But guess what? You're in a long line of people that are declaring the works and the majesty of God from generation to generation. Your favorite preacher's going to die one day. Your favorite song leader... He's going to be in the grave someday, but the praise of the God that they're singing and preaching about will stand forever. Are you proclaiming him, and are you teaching others to do the same? You see, that's everyday praise. That's everyday praise, and we all have a job to do. Even in verse 5, he says, on the glorious splendor of your majesty, I will meditate. You know, David knew what it was like to be a king and being enthroned with royal robes and inundated with gold and silver because of his high position. But he says, that don't even compare to the glory of God and his majesty. He even says in Psalm 76.4, he says, "You you are resplendent, O Lord, and more majestic than the mountains of prey. As he looked around the mountains and he saw how majestic they were, he says, Lord, you're even more majestic than that. How many of you have ever gone to Blowing Rock? You've gone up there maybe during peak season. You see all the colors popping off the trees, and it just looks like this mosaic of beauty and splendor. Well, guess what? God says that he's more majestic than that. That pales in comparison to the beauty of the Almighty God. And David can't even find words to express it. He's like, you're the glorious splendor of your majesty. He's trying to go and make up words to to describe and get there, to, to try to help people to visualize the perfections of God. But then he says, on all your wonderful works, I'll meditate. That word meditate, it really means to murmur. It's almost like people thought that folks had been Drinking too much wine when they would do that in the Old Testament. Because they would be like, great is the Lord, his faithfulness. Here it is the Lord, your God is one. You should love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And as they were doing that, they would be murmuring all day long, meditating on God's goodness. Thinking about his character, thinking about his commandments. Believer, are you meditating? Are you murmuring? Are you preaching to your own heart? There's going to be some situations in your life Where you're going to have your favorite preacher, but you need to murmur in such a way that where you can be your favorite preacher in the moment of trial. You need to preach to your own heart. But that's going to come as an overflow of your meditations. I had a brother that told me, he said, man, I'm in a low place right now. He said, man, there are times that every thought is attacking the goodness of God. But he said, the only thing that's holding me up, brother, is the fact that I'm thinking about God's word. And they're pouring it on in the weight of his word. It's collapsing the doubt that I have of his character and his goodness. And that's what you need to do. You let the word put weight on your life in such a way that it dispels the doubt and the despair that can flood at the moment of, of difficulty. So David is saying. I'm going to speak of that. Tell people about it. Meditate on it. Psalm 80 says, when I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you've ordained, what is man that you'd even take thought of him? It's like, man, I'm looking at the, the mountains, I'm looking at the moon, and I'm looking at everything doing what it's supposed to do. And then I look at me, the sinner, and I'm like, why do you even care for me? That's, that's a substance of meditation that David had, meditating on the character of God. Brothers, I would encourage you to do that, brothers and sisters. Meditate on him. Ponder him. Think about his ways. and Let that saturate your thinking. And even in verse 6, he says, Men have, uh, shall speak of the power of your awesome acts and will tell of your greatness. These awesome acts are... Usually, the activity of the Old Testament that would cause men to dread, like the drowning of, the, of mankind in the flood, you know, or even the destruction of, of the Egyptians with the, uh, the plagues and the destruction at the Red Sea. All of these things would cause men to shriek back in, in fear and say, These are dreadful acts, fearsome acts. But to the people of God, we see them as awesome acts of God's power because we understand that God's, that God's holiness is not divorced from his wrath and his love and his justice and his kindness. They hold those together. David didn't shy away from the severe acts of God's punishment when he was dealing with sin. In fact, he used it to warn people not to be opposed to God because that would happen to them too. That's how we should be. There's some people that they just want to talk about God's love, God's peace, God's, God's gracious, his mercy. But they don't like to talk about His wrath and His justice and the fact that He is vengeful towards those who are going to be opposing His character and His kingdom for life. We've got to have a, an even-handed, a balanced view of our presentation of this Almighty God when we pass Him down from generation to generation. All of His attributes. I mean, you know, you've got to understand His greatness is not divorced from His justice. And His love isn't stripped from His wrath. They're all together in these perfections He's whole. And we need to proclaim him in all that we say and do. And you think of what he's saying here. It's in his greatness that allows us to cultivate a heart of gratitude and praise. But not only is God's majestic power seen in his greatness, it's also seen in his goodness. Verses 7 through 9 show his goodness. You see, if God was great and powerful, it could cause people to maybe shy away a little bit and say, Well, I don't know. He's a God only to be feared. But because of his good character, he's a God also to be loved. That's what David is showing us. And he says in verse 7, They shall eagerly utter memories of your goodness, abundant goodness. He says God is not stingy. He lavishes his goodness upon all. Even he says in that next verse there, The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. that sound familiar? Remember that when Moses asked God, Show me your glory. In Exodus 34, God puts him in the cleft of the rock, and it wasn't what Moses saw. It was what he heard. And what did he hear? The Lord God, gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And then what did Moses do right after that? He made haste to get to the ground, and he worshiped the living God. That should be our posture. We see these characteristics of God. and We should respond in praise to him, thinking about his righteousness That he acts and judges in a way that is in perfect uprightness and equity without error. And his grace that he bestows favor that you can't even earn it. That should be news for you to celebrate and give him praise, believer. If you're in Christ, it wasn't because you earned it. It's because God graciously gave it to you. And that should tune your heart to praise him every day. Even on your worst day, if you're in Christ, you can say, praise his holy name. I am in Christ. I'm in Christ. Victory is mine. Merciful. God withholds punishment that is due to a person. Slow to anger. He has a righteous temper, but it takes a long time to arouse because of his patience, tranquility of heart, even towards sinners, even in their disobedience. God is that way. And then his loving kindness is that covenantal love that says that it will never be broken. God makes a commitment to those he calls to himself and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you once he draws you to himself he keeps you in himself and that's why david is praising his loving kindness even on the days that david sinned and violated the commands of god he knew that there was nothing that can put him outside of his love that's what should give you everyday praise everyday praise when was the last time you reflected on the, the grace of god in your life just stopped and thought about it his mercy and how he's patient towards you when you sin. Have you thought about it? Meditated on it and just gave him thanks. That's part of everyday praise. I love, it. it doesn't just stop with the believer. He says the Lord is good to all in verse 9. That word all means all. You see, there's no single part of God's creation that doesn't experience his goodness. Isn't that amazing? And you know, other times and you know, sometimes in my family, I'm like, okay, I can be biased and partial. I'm a lavish goodness on this person versus this person. I'm going to do good to this person because we we get along in the family, or neighbors, or et cetera. But God says there's no single part of my creation that is apart from my goodness. I see and show it to all. Even in Matthew 5, 45, Jesus says that God allows the sun to rise and fall on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He does it because he's good. We should tell people about that. And also his mercies are over all his works. His tender mercies to the weak, the suffering, the foolish, the despondent, despairing, all of those, he says, his mercies are showing day by day. No matter where you are, his mercies are over all his works. And that's why he's majestic in his power, because of the greatness and the goodness of his character. And that's why it should cultivate everyday praise. Will you... You think about God, I know that he's sitting on the throne of the universe, but is he sitting on the throne of your heart? Yeah, he's majestic, and he's powerful, and he's authority over all, but is he ruling and reigning over your heart personally? And if he is, are you giving him praise? Because that's what everyday praise is all about. Well, That's the first reason that we see that we should have everyday praise, and that's the Lord's majestic power. Second two, I promise you, will go faster than that. For those of you counting, like this brother done spent 20, 25 minutes on point one. I done just had some turkey in my system. This is going to be a long Sunday. I promise I won't do it to you. I promise I won't do it to you. Uh, But the next thing that we see that we can give God praise on a daily basis is that the preacher won't go long. Okay, I'm sorry. That wasn't in the notes. Um, Is that the preacher, (laughs) I'm sorry, the Lord's magnificent plans. Let's look at the Lord's magnificent plans. We've seen his majestic power. Now we're going to see his magnificent plans in verse 10 through 13. Do you realize that God has plans for his kingdom agenda? He has plans. It's not like he's up there making it up each day. God has calculated every single effort of human existence and human history, and he's carrying out a redemptive plan. And it's amazing to see it on display. And David says that. We've got to give him praise for that. Hey, look at verse 10. He says, all your works will give thanks to you, O Lord. The last verse in the Psalm hymn book in Psalm 150, verse 6 says, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. He says everything that has left life and breath should praise God because he was the one that gave it life and breath. You owe it, God, your origin, and therefore you are to order your praise and worship to him. God's work in his creation, and every creature should praise him as a result of that. And you know what? It's going to be a day where everyone will praise him, and we're going to praise him perfectly. Even Philippians 2 helps us to see that. It says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's going to happen. But you know what our job is? We get a chance to communicate that gospel message so that people can worship the King of Kings now. Willfully so that they won't have to do it forever, reluctantly. That's our job, is to be able to extend that gospel to help advance the kingdom of heaven here on this earth. David was about that kingdom agenda. He submitted to uh, the Lord. Yahweh was looking forward to the Messiah that was to come, knowing that all of human history was hinging upon the Messiah. Every, Every Old Testament saint was looking forward to his arrival, and even the New Testament saints, we look back at his person, and his character, and his work that he did on the cross. It's amazing to see that. And David says, your godly ones will bless you. Everyone that is chosen by you, that are holy, that are saints, we're going to bless his name because we're in that number of people that will proclaim his glory from now and throughout eternity. He talks about this kingdom in verse 11. He says, they shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power. And the power really comes from God. There's no power that's apart from him. Even think about, some people say, well, what about the the, the mother nature? Well, really, the laws of nature would have no nature if it wasn't for God. You know, gravity wouldn't have the ability to carry its weight if God didn't give it so. That's the the, the, the amount of power that God has. You know, time itself would, would have a hard time keeping time if it wasn't for God. Amen. That's God. All power and all authority is flowing from him and his glory and his kingdom. And he's advancing that. And there's some people that think that they can mess with God and try to move him from that throne, but God will never be removed from his throne. Kingdoms might come, kingdoms will go, but God will never be removed from his throne of glory. If you don't believe that, ask Pharaoh, ask Nebuchadnezzar, ask Pilate, ask all of these rulers, ask Alexander, not so great. You know, you think he was great. He ain't got nothing compared to the greatness of God. But all of these kingdoms have come and gone. That should bless your soul and you should give God praise. Despite what's taking place in Israel right now, despite what's going on in Ukraine or any other place throughout the world, God's kingdom is an eternal kingdom and the gates of hell will not prevail. That should give us praise every day. That if you're in Christ, you're part of an eternal kingdom of God's redemptive plan. And David was in that kingdom agenda. And he proclaimed it and said, we'll talk about this glory forever and ever. Some people talk about Buckingham Palace, the place of the royal residence, right? The monarch of Great Britain. And yeah, you might go through and see some fine dining, right? Some some great extravagant rooms and staircases and gardens for for miles. They might even have the changing of the guard. That's cute. But guess what? It don't compare to heaven. God got the changing of the angels (laughs) going back and forth, giving him praise. That's the, the, the sight that David had his eyes on. He didn't, he didn't fall prey to the lesser. He said, I'm going to worship the greater. It's no kingdom that's going to get his attention that's greater than the God of the universe. And that's how we should orient our praise every single day. He says he's going to make known his acts uh, to the sons of men. God has raised up heralds at every juncture of human history to do that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, all these people, David, Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you name them. God's got them. He's raised him up. David, Daniel, the 12, John the Baptist, you, you're going to be proclaiming about this kingdom until Christ comes. Amen? That's what happens. That's our praise to him, telling of his glory, telling of his kingdom acts. We're in a long line of people that were heralding God's gospel and the glory that is due him. And you see God's magnificent plans and how he reigns. In verse 13, it says, Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, And your dominion endures throughout all generations. You know, no one can overthrow his reign or break his rule. Even though Satan, God has given during the fall, or after the fall, I should say, he's allowed Satan the ability to be the prince of the power of the air, as Ephesians 2.2 describes him. But Satan doesn't have any authority over God. Satan is God's devil. And he can only do what God would forbid or allow. But ultimately, victory is in his hands. And I even think about Peter when he was contemplating God's goodness as Christ said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the kingdom of heaven. But these are the magnificent plans of God's story of redemption. And it's going to happen over and over again. And our job is just to proclaim that to our neighbors, family members, and friends. Now, we had a chance to do that at the community Thanksgiving meal. And what a praise it was. This was part of of God's kingdom plans, right? His plan was to draw you to himself in salvation to allow you to praise him, and then to declare him in such a way that will invite others to do the same. And that's what we did at the community Thanksgiving meal. We went out and invited people from the community. There was a brother that shared the testimony. Jeff Blanchard did an extraordinary job of just highlighting what God has done and saving him and gave praise. There were some people like, man, I don't praise God like that man praise God. I might even say, I don't praise God like that brother praised God. But it was just good to to brag on the goodness of God. Then Kyle delivered a a great message of hope that's not found in getting rid of the circumstances of life, but it is in having the righteousness of Christ and the goodness of God found in him. That's the kingdom agenda. And saints, that's what we should be doing every day. That's giving God every day praise. Knowing that we've tasted his goodness and we're communicating it and proclaiming it in such a way to where others can do the same. That's the kingdom agenda. That's God's kingdom plans, and we should praise him for that. Oh, we've seen his majestic power that should cultivate praise. We've seen the Lord's magnificent plans that should highlight and arouse praise within. And the last thing we'll see is because of the Lord's merciful provision, it should stoke the coals of praise in our heart, his merciful provision. You see, God gives his provision to the physically dependent, in verse 14, it says, the Lord sustains all who fall. That fall, it's a Hebrew word that means the foot is unsteady. It slips. It may be a, a, a sea of despair, despondency, doubt, hardship, anxiety. You could be fallen. Or maybe you fall into a situation where you don't have enough food to feed the family. Or maybe you're, you don't have ends that meet any of that. He says he he raises up those who are bowed down. Sometimes those who are bowed down, they're done so by their own sin or man's humiliation. Or maybe they just are stressed about the cares of this life. And God says, guess what? If you're low, he lifts them up. That's what David was praising God. He lifts them up. He lifts the head of those who are hung low because of weighed down of cares in this life. He sustains and raises them. Isaiah 40, 29 says he gives strength to the weary. And Ezekiel 34, 16 says, I will seek the lost and bring back the strayed. And then I will bring and bind up those who are injured and strengthen those who are weak. That's God's care. And he does that over and over and over again. Listen, believers, sometimes God will allow you to get to a a weak and, and, and pitiful situation so that he can show you the depths of his mercy and his kindness and goodness to you. That'll happen sometimes. And maybe you're here today and, and you're like, man, I'm, I'm, I can't even praise him. I can't even praise him. Because you're in that situation where you're falling, you're bowed down low, and you don't even know uh, when the next check is going to come, when the next meal is going to come. God says he can lift you up. He cares for his people. If he's feeding the birds and all the animals, he will feed and tend to you. He's a God that loves to care. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. And Even in verse 15 and 16, He says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due time. You'll never see animals running around like, Man, when am I going to eat? God is supplying them what they need. The lions out on the plains of Africa, to the birds that's chirping in your backyard. God is feeding them all. They're looking to Him for their provision. Satisfying them. Every living thing. Psalm 147, 9 said, He gives to the beast its food and to the young ravens that cry, giving them their meal. He's righteous in all of his ways and he's kind in all of his deeds. Every single thing that God does is righteous, perfect, and holy. But not only is he merciful to those who are physically dependent upon him, his mercy extends to those who are spiritually dependent, and that should be everybody. Look at what he says in verse 18. The Lord is near to all those who call upon him. To all who call upon him in what? Truth. He says, you do it in truth. This is really a, a call to, to the Old Testament saint, like we have as the gospel for the New Testament. This is similar to what Paul says in Romans 10:13, quoting Joel when he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be what? Will be saved. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved those who are spiritually dependent. Jesus says, come to me, those who are weak, heavily laden, trying to be righteous in your own strength, and I will give you rest. That's the Jesus Christ that you need to come to. Maybe today you're sitting here like, preacher man, I hear you preaching, but I can't praise God like you're praising him because I don't know Jesus Christ. Let today be a day of salvation. Don't just listen about and hear about Jesus Christ. Come to him. Come to the one who is the light of the world. Come to Christ, who is the pearl of great value. Come to the, to the Christ, who is the bread of life, and the living water, the one who is the Son of God and God, true God, Alpha and Omega, ultimate Savior. Come to Him today, and you can find rest for your soul. God has positioned it in such a way that He wants to extend mercy to anyone who would ask for it. But you've got to do it in truth recognize you're a sinner. You've offended him at least once. You're worthy of his eternal wrath, but instead you want his eternal love that's found in the love of his son. Come to Christ today. Come to Christ today. And then you can do like David did towards the end of this song. In verse 21, he says, my mouth will speak the praise of the Lord. He didn't care what topic was up in conversation. He didn't care what situation Every single day he was going to speak of the praise of the Almighty God. If you listen to a psalm like this, you might ask yourself, how do you respond? I'll give you a few things. How do you respond? The first thing you need to do is if you're an unbeliever, you need to come all the way to Christ. You can't even begin to praise God unless you receive his son. So come to him all the way. We'll be down front. We'd love to share with you how you can make that possible. But come to him. But if you're in Christ already, you can respond to a message like this by pursuing the Lord daily. Pursue Him daily. How do you offer God everyday praise? Pursue Him daily. Discover Him in the the riches of the Bible. Systematic theology. Read about Him. Pursue Him daily. And then in addition to that, praise Him continuously. Let your pursuit of Him result in praise of Him and get to a place to where you're praising God every day. You ought to go triple platinum in your car, driving when nobody else is around. Hopefully nobody else is around to hear that voice, mine in particular. But you should be praising God because of his goodness. Pursue him daily, praise him continuously, and proclaim him faithfully. Do that, and you'll get a chance to offer God everyday praise. Can we rely on you to do that, brothers and sisters? To give God the praise that is due him because of the greatness and the goodness of his character. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we're so delighted to come to your word this morning and hear about how good you are, not only to your people, but to all humanity. All of your creation can testify to the goodness and the greatness of your character. But for those of us that have been redeemed, we can just share in how much you have loved us and have positioned us in a place of righteousness and then being able to live that out in a manner that's worthy of you. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to learn the lesson from David, that we would make sure that every single day would be filled with praise to you. Even in our difficult moments, may we look to the King, and even in our most joyous occasions, may we boast in you. We love you, and we praise you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.